Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. It's no secret the grid's certainly transforming. There's a lot of aging infrastructure out there, and I think the extreme growth of renewables has kind of caught everybody by surprise. As the world's energy sources and uses evolve, there's some incredible business opportunities unfolding. Our pipeline now exceeds $7.2 billion, which is 200% increase year over year. So the kind of forward look in here and now is, is remarkable growth. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Extreme weather, aging grids, power storage and distribution. These are just some of the challenges that clean energy is stepping up to solve. And companies like STEM are at the forefront with cutting edge AI driven services. Today we hear from John Carrington, CEO of STEM. John leads the energy storage and analytics movement at the company and has more than 25 years of leadership experience in technology, energy, and industrial companies. He came to STEM from Mia Sole, the world's largest CIGS-based thin film solar company where he was CEO and director. Prior to that, John was the EVP of marketing and business development at First Solar, growing the company from $250 million to more than $2 billion and open markets in the US, Asia, and Europe. John spent over 16 years at General Electric, most recently as general manager and chief marketing officer of GE Plastics. He was part of a small executive team that executed on the $12 billion sale of GE Plastics in 2007. I sat down with John to talk about his interesting career trajectory and the huge runway he has in front of him with STEM. Let's enter the arena with John Carrington. My most formative years were probably at GE, and you highlighted some of that. I was there um, a little over 16 years, and really my objective there was to join a big platform that I felt like invested in the employee base and would provide me an opportunity to do a variety of different things. And, and in the end, that's exactly what occurred. I, over my time, I went through you know, manufacturing, product, sales, marketing, and then Jack Welch had decided that the real mix shift of the business was going to Asia. And so he asked each of the CEOs within the, at the time, I think there were 14 businesses to nominate four leaders to lead key functions. And I was selected for sales and marketing and at the uh, ripe old age of 34. So I moved to Tokyo with responsibility for all of Asia, which included India. I'd never visited Asia. It was a great experience. And 
After about four years and two different roles in Asia, I did return back to the role as chief marketing officer and was really responsible for innovation marketing and segment ownership of about 12 key segments. We had divided the company into different groups, healthcare, automotive, business equipment, and energy. And so energy was one that I really took a passion to. And so I ended up uh, joining First Solar and I was recruited by John Doerr to run Mia Soleil as the CEO. And then shortly thereafter, I was um, introduced to STEM and threw one of my board members at Mia Soleil and got here and there were about 40 employees. And here we are, 11,000% enterprise value increase since uh, that day one. So it's been a pretty good ride. Pretty incredible. You know, obviously, after all that experience, being all over the world, seeing a lot of different technologies, what did you see in STEM that was really appealing to you? Yeah, it was interesting. You know, I, I really had this interest in the nexus between energy and technology. And part of that came from my time at First Solar. We were doing some work. We invested in Solar City, And at the time, they were looking at batteries. And it became clear that batteries would become a bigger part, but you really needed that analytics piece. So I was introduced to STEM. It was funny because the Angelino Group was the venture group that had the biggest share in the company. I went to LA and visited the, their team. And they said, there's this battery company. I said, keep moving. I don't want to talk about joining a battery company. And uh, yeah. they said, no, no, it's a software company that manages batteries, predictive analytics, AI. And I thought, okay, that's pretty compelling. And um, so that was really the driver, uh, the, the first solar and the GE experience, and just felt like they had a leading platform. It was early. I also believe that some of my experiences and skill sets previously would be a good fit to, to where the business needed to go. Just at a basic level, what does the company do? What kind of services do you provide? Yeah, so we really provide clean energy solutions and services designed to help our customers maximize economic, environmental, and resiliency of their energy assets and portfolios. So we are a software company first and foremost. We effectively put our Athena platform on top of large battery systems and we'll place them at either a CNI host customer or we will provide the uh, the hardware and software to large solar developers or storage developers for that matter and really have businesses focused on the CNI side so consumer industrial and then uh, these large solar developers or asset owners so the customers as you just kind of said I mean are these fortune 500 corporate energy users kind of big utilities independent power producers we're now much more on the front of the meter large which let's call that independent power producers utility scale and that's primarily driven by the print of the hardware it's such a bigger print versus you know a home depot or a walmart store but uh, we do enjoy over 30 of the fortune 500 and i'd say of that it's probably majority in the fortune 50 if you think about walmart home depot you know and office complexes like adobe or meta they have a tremendous amount of locations and or energy usage so we're a very good fit to help them save money on the cni side We'll save our customers anywhere from 10 to 30%. And then when you go over to the developer side, we're seeing IRRs increasing anywhere from 10 to 40% with our, with our system put in place. Bigger picture, kind of stepping back, you're obviously in a massive secular trend that's kind of happening. How does STEM fit into kind of the whole energy transition? Well, I mean, it's no secret the grid's certainly transforming. There's a lot of aging infrastructure out there, and I think the extreme growth of renewables has kind of caught everybody by surprise, so it's driven more grid intermittency. 
also the increase of extreme weather, you know, whether it's wildfires or just extensive heat really plays into an interesting opportunity for the company. The assets that we put in place allow the utility or the grid operator to utilize that. It's the fastest responding source of energy. So it provides them a really compelling way to address issues. We're seeing anywhere from three to eight to 10 X even the number of calls on an annual basis to our system. So if you think about these, you can effectively put a virtual power plant in the middle of Los Angeles or another market of your choice. And the utility and STEM can work together and call on those assets instantaneously to help offset any grid resiliency issues that they may be facing. Maybe that's a segue into Athena and how important that software is for you and, and for your customers. More importantly, you talked about extreme heat. The software is able uh, to do a lot of things to keep people safe and obviously make things run efficiently and smoothly. Yeah, you know, it's it's really our proprietary AI software that we've built. A lot of companies have kind of pulled together a variety of different types of software platform. We've built this from scratch. And, um, you know, we recently announced that we now have what we believe to be the best-in-class software platform, and it's modeled off of the Rocky Mountain Institute Wheel of Storage, as it's known. And we have now have a, all 13 uh, within that wheel covered in our Athena platform. So really can participate in a variety of different value chains. And what's interesting about it is we're seeing as we go into a market, one or two of these use cases, and New England ISO is a good example, we went from two to six or seven. So the software is important. It's really also tailored to whatever market needs are there. But what's compelling is once you're in the location and we see more and more of those use cases expanding, and so our business and our long-term software revenues will continue to grow and expand. But it's becoming a use that, uh, it's becoming a product rather, that certainly utilities and grid operators are depending more and more upon. What exactly is a use case, John? You had talked about in, in one of your earnings calls about um, kind of the near grid collapse in California. Like what actually happened there, just so people can kind of understand better what you guys are doing to correct situations like that on the fly? When you have an extreme heat situation, as an example, there's a variety of kind of levels of issues that the grid operator, the utility, and a lot of us have seen these come across on text or it's a bulletin, but effectively to turn down your power usage. And <clears throat> what we can provide to the utility in that instance is think of for 400 customers in San Francisco or Los Angeles, wherever, and we can call on those instantaneously. And while we will not export power, we will reduce that load with whatever the amount of storage that's at that location. And the utility or grid operator pays us for that. We share in those revenues with the host customer. So it's really a very fast acting before maybe you could fire up a gas peaker plant or other opportunities to offset this problem. And what's interesting to see is we all witness the problems in Texas, and we're seeing a massive amount of our pipeline and our customer closes now in Texas because they're responding to what happened with the cold weather in that instance to make sure that their grid's more resilient. But the fast acting in conjunction with the ability to really strategically place these assets is important. You just can't drop a peaker plant in the middle of New York City and Manhattan. You can put our systems in 50 buildings that will represent a gas peaker plant and actually operate faster. The one thing I noticed about the business, John, is that uh, the total addressable market is 
pretty significant, not only today, but what it could be down the road. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's growing ex- exceptionally. The most recent quarter that we announced, uh, we reported 150% growth in the top line. And our pipeline now exceeds $7.2 billion, which is 200% increase year over year. So the kind of forward look in here and now is, is remarkable growth. I mentioned the 11,000% enterprise value growth since joining. And I think our best days are ahead. I mean, we're seeing more and more growth related to solar. And every solar facility that's being specced today is including storage. We've now seen the announcement of IRA, which was BBB at one point, but it's a renewable tax credit, much like you saw with wind and solar, that will drive significant additional demand. And it's something that's also tied to the electric vehicle side, which is another area that we're focused on. So the TAM expansion is massive. I think that we will see just remarkable growth really across the board. Solar will continue to grow. We own a company called Also Energy that we acquired. They're the leading solar monitor and asset management company in the industry. Combined with Athena on the storage side, it's a, it's a really strong combination to help provide our customers a single spot to procure these software platforms and really manage it all under a single pane of glass. The Inflation Reduction Act certainly benefited energy storage and, and STEM specifically. Maybe you can comment on on the act itself and, and how that's benefiting you and over what time. So the IRA or Inflation Reduction Act is a $370 billion clean energy and climate investment over the next 10 years. And that's the most sizable that's ever been done in U.S. history and probably globally. And from a STEM standpoint, we view the investments within IRA as really transformational for the country and for the clean energy space and certainly for STEM. I think it touches a variety of areas. You've got solar, storage, and EVs in particularly for us. And I think what's going to be interesting is, you know, certainly with this 10-year guarantee of tax credits, it'll provide much more assurance to our customers, and it'll also drive more clarity around financing and the structure around that. So, it's a massive enabler. I think it's beneficial from a country standpoint as well, because you're going to have much higher employment. Effectively, you can think of this as if solar works in any market in the U.S., now with IRA, storage will work. So it's a massive enabler. And the retrofit piece of this is, is exceptional as well. So we're, we're really excited about it. And uh, we've already seen massive incoming is indicative by a doubling of a $7.2 billion pipeline. How easy is it to go solar in air quotes, you know, with storage today? What are the barriers to adoption that you see to really getting there? Well, I think the biggest barrier was just removed, right? Because there was never a standalone ITC for energy storage. So if you had a solar facility you were specking out or building, there were a lot of IRS rules related to adopting storage in conjunction with your solar. That's now been removed. So you now have the ability to either retrofit an existing solar asset and drive additional economics, or as we're seeing, specify and include energy storage on anything out there in solar. So it will become much larger combined offering, and then just the standalone storage piece will also become very compelling. It's really a no-brainer for our CNI customers to, to not do this. I mean, it, now it's much more beneficial to do both, in fact, whereas before they were much more maybe solar focused because that was 
kind of easier to do in the past with ITC, et cetera. Now with the combined offering of IRA, it's it's really a, a compelling opportunity. And we have everything in place that we need, right? We have the hardware. We've had supply chain relationships for over 10 years. We've got the AI software in Athena. We also have the leading solar monitoring software, as I mentioned, and also, and then finally, tied with the incentives, it's, it's going to be pretty powerful. Another exciting development for STEM is their new partnership with InCharge, an EV charging infrastructure solution owned by ABB. As more and more people move towards electric vehicles, there's huge potential to create efficiencies for those customers. EVs in general, when you think about it, they're focused on the charging platform to the vehicle. What's interesting about that is the charging platform to the customer going the other way, there's a lot of unintended consequences that include higher demand charges, significant spike in energy usage. And if you're a CNI customer, your energy bill will be based upon the highest 15-minute peak each month. And so if you get these massive spikes for, and you know, people will plug their vehicles in for all day while they're at the office, you dramatically change your energy portfolio costs. So we are now helping our customers understand that. So effectively, when you look at the situation on InCharge, we are working with their software platform to integrate all of those EV charging loads that we know and that they know and helping the customer lower their energy cost and really helping them to optimize when they should be charging. And we can help integrate with based upon the, the time of use, also how many vehicles are coming to those charging stations. We can kind of modulate when those should be charged. And it's a really compelling opportunity. We're seeing more and more EV companies coming to us to help with this very problem. And there's over $9 billion of support for uh, EVs. And um, we feel like that's really going to also help us enable more storage and, uh, and Athena software platform to help uh, these customers save more money. The common thread in, in the conversation thus far when we're talking about these things is certainly uh, innovation and technology. And you've got the leadership there, uh, commitment to innovation. And that's not just talk. You're being recognized formally for what you're doing. Correct, John? That's right. You know, we just were, um, you know, awarded by Frost and Sullivan as the Athena was, as the really the industry leading platform on the storage plus software side. And um, certainly on the uh, solar monitoring side with also energy, they've been recognized most recently by Guidehouse as the global leader. So I think we do really have two unmatched platforms that will continue to grow out. I mean, this is not one and done by any means. And so we're excited about what the future can hold as we continue to build out these exceptional platforms. What do you see as the biggest benefits thus far of being public? I think one of the biggest benefits is a balance sheet stability. I think the other one that's helped us is we've really been able to leverage the balance sheet to get more hardware. And that's important, particularly in the times of constraint like now. It's actually a competitive advantage. And it was something that was very difficult in the past. So I think those are two big areas that have been very beneficial and the obvious ones of being able to invest back in the business and, you know, really grow the development team and sales team out. It's obviously been an absolutely crazy environment coming out of COVID and coming out with significant inflation, a labor challenges, supply chain, 
every single company is dealing with it. How are you kind of positioning the business to deal with those issues, John? Yeah, you know, I think it's a page from the old GE days of kind of you get in the dentist chair. And unfortunately for my team, I've, I think I've expanded that here, whereby every Friday we're very granular. And I think that is something I learned there, whereby we'll have the development team. This is the group that's responsible for delivering and operationalizing these plants to go by geo, by customer, by hardware supplier, and making sure all of that's on track. Then the next call is on the sales team for an hour, and we go through every deal and where that is and make sure that's aligned with the supply chain. And then we have a development war room, we call it, where the really significant projects that quarter we review. So it's a by design. There's a lot of focus on it, and this is attended by most of my e-staff. So you've got everybody on the line that can make the call or help you know, open up any barriers. So I agree we have been recognized for it. I think the street has been impressed by our ability to do it, but it's not by just happenstance by any means. For sure. And then I know part of the plan when you look out a few years is margin expansion. What are the key drivers that investors should know about that particular initiative? Yeah, I mean, we're really growing our our software business. We've been very clear about that as being the priority today and really in the near term as well. Uh, and longer term, really, we'll have, we believe there'll be hardware associated. The interesting thing about hardware for us is while it's lower margin, it allows us to pick up that 20 year software contract that's extremely valuable. And by the way, we have a very small team running hardware, so it's not a big drag on the business. We'll also see more of a services component to our business. I think when you're early on as a market leader, you tend to give more away in the services side than you maybe should because you're growing this market. And we have a significant amount of domain expertise and we're gonna start charging and have started charging for that capability. You know, our margins on software are generally 80% or greater. So that feels good. Market participation's growing. Services will grow. And we talked a little bit about Europe and some things going on around the world. I feel like the best market might be, best international market I told my board might be right here in the US after the IRA. And we're very focused on growing here domestically. As you end 2022 versus 2021, how does that backlog differ over those two years and what kind of visibility does that give investors? Yeah, I think investors have stayed very close to that very metric and uh, it continues to grow at an exceptional rate. You know, the, the contracted, the booking side is one that people are very focused on. We actually increased our, our guidance around that because we feel like we could see upwards of a billion dollars on that metric. And that would be a remarkable number that while not necessarily can translate into, let's say 2023, it is kind of a 2023, 2024. One of the things that we're seeing is project timelines are getting expanded partially because of the magnitude of these projects. They're getting much bigger, but I would say that, um, you know, that backlog piece is very important and, and you hit it, it continues to grow. The other one is our car metric, our software metric, which is something we created to help our investors understand that the contracted annual recurring revenue is a number that's car. But then you have to take that, which, you know, the, the guidance for us is 65 to 85 million for the year. But you got to take that time 17 years because that's the average of our contracts. And when you put that up, that number up, it's, it's a significant software tail that we have. And 
you know, I, I think it's unrivaled, candidly. And that comes with, you know, if there's cancellations, it comes with the cost to the customer. It provides great visibility for our analysts and investors. And so um, I think the backlog's a big one. Car's a big one. And look, we've been clear about becoming EBITDA positive in the second half of next year. We'll do that. And I think that will also unlock a lot of value. Certainly, uh, unprofitable companies that can't carry their own water right now are clearly out of uh out of favor and it's remarkable what a year makes i remember last year this time we had people saying we need to invest more in the business to grow and now it's all about generating a profit the reality is in an industry that you're in there's going to be fits and starts but the big secular wave is behind you and you know you figure it out as you grow it'll be a little choppy a little volatile sometimes and you know the smartest investors see right through that and i think it's really typical of a fast-growing industry for sure and i add too we have the team i mean i think one of the things that i learned going at first solar was is we went from 250 million to 2 billion the team that gets you to 250 can't really get you to the next one so when i got here I really added people that were had done much bigger things. I mean, when I joined the company, I told the board, I thought, maybe I'll be here a year because I don't want to do the other three days of the week. And literally every person I brought into the e-staff, Lars Johnson, our CTO, he was running Siemens Global Digital Grid, 1,000-plus employees, comes here. I think we had about 40. So, I mean, it, it, now, as I look at my e-staff and we're where we are, it's not – there's no one that you'd say, oh, they've tapped out. I mean, this is so – we're very well positioned and – have a great team below them, obviously, as well. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because at the end of the day, you know, you're really betting on a team and you're betting that you can execute on this. A lot of companies get into trouble when they don't have that, as you rightly point out. How about the way you look at capital allocation? How do you kind of sit there and assess where you're going to make your bets and where you can invest in future growth and innovation? Yeah, I'd say we have a, a very strong corporate development team that we've built. So we look at a lot of different acquisitions. My sense is today it's still pretty expensive. Valuations are pretty high. You know, for us, we focus on if we were going to do an acquisition, it would have to be gross margin accretive. We'd want to see something that had strong recurring revenue, could potentially expand geography. But, you know, right now we're monitoring a lot, looking at things, but it would have to be pretty special based upon the valuations we're seeing. We also want to be very careful with our cash. No telling how long this current environment lasts. And, um, you know, we have three years plus of runway, so it's not as though we're concerned about that. I'd say we're careful with expansion. We're very careful on the hiring strategy. We're putting more of our resources in India. One of the things that also Energy had is over 100 people down there. And so we have a good starting point to add people in that location as well and massive leverage from a cost standpoint there. How do you think the energy storage industry will continue to evolve over the next three to five years. What do you see like kind of five years from now? Oh, I think you're going to see continued exceptional growth. You'll probably see more IRA type programs in Europe. I mean, it's no secret they've got a, a real problem over there, certainly with Russia, but even more broadly, we have a, an extensive investor base. So we're talking to a lot of our investors on strategies there. So I think you'll see it to be a much more global game. And I think that the solar side will continue to grow at a good pace. Storage, I think, will outpace it, actually. But every solar product is going to have storage associated with it. I think the wind side is a little bit difficult right now, but they're adding more and more storage. So my view is really storage and analytics associated with that, more importantly, is the place to be in the renewable space. 
over the next three to five years and quite frankly, the next 10 years in my view. And so we're really excited about what the future holds and believe our best days are ahead, particularly when you get to that inflection point of, you know, EBITDA positive and kind of carrying your own water. I think that really changes the dynamic from an enterprise value standpoint for our investors. During your career, you obviously worked in so many cool jobs in different places. Did you have uh, one or two mentors that come to your mind that gave you great career advice you really admired and, and kind of what were, what were those people like? Well, my father was key early on and continues to be, fortunately. I'd say from a business standpoint, probably one of the best for me. I was very lucky in that I was a salesperson in uh, Arizona, I remember. And Jack Welch flew in to do these city tours. And he was very focused on customer centricity and staying close to your customers and was passionate about, you know, meeting or exceeding commitments. And so he was super instrumental and remarkably engaged with employees. And I've tried to follow the similar path, created a great culture, difficult culture. Don't get me wrong. It was, as, as HR guy said, when I was moved to corporate, he said, bring a helmet. Uh, and <laughs> he was right, but great learnings. And I think in general, just the GE executives around execution, operational excellence, and very deep understanding of your business and the kind of the competitive advantage you have were all things that I learned. It was a phenomenal experience to, and very fortunate to spend the time I did with the levels that I got to integrate with, whether it be by timing, luck, you know, hard work certainly, but I was really fortunate to go to Tokyo as young as I was and the, every executive that came over, Jack, Jeff, whomever, I mean, you'd literally be traveling with them and spending time on planes and getting to know those, uh, those leaders was pretty special. STEM success is a strong indicator of clean energy's potential. This is an industry where real investment is happening and STEM is a major player. And importantly, they've been recognized time and time again for their commitment to innovation. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, Subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank John Carrington for joining me today. John's had a phenomenal career with some of the world's most innovative companies, and he's now using that experience to push STEM to new heights. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.